From the newsrooms of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, this is Please Explain. I'm Kate Orbison. It's Thursday, February 16. Neve Finneran Loder was 25 years old when she travelled to Bali for minor dental work late last year. The Australian university student was found dead on December 2nd in the bathroom of the Kuta Bali famous hotel, leaving her grieving family and friends struggling to comprehend how she died. The circumstances of her tragic death are still a mystery to law enforcement, both in Australia and Indonesia. But her case has reignited questions about the allure of medical tourism for the more than 15,000 Australians who head overseas every year for cheaper cosmetic procedures, heart surgery and even stem cell therapy. Today, Southeast Asia correspondent Chris Barrett on the big business of medical tourism and what Australians have to gain or lose. Firstly, Chris, can you tell us who was Neve Finner and Loder and what do we know about the circumstances surrounding her death? Well, she was a 25-year-old university student from Western Australia, originally from Ireland, studied international relations over there and a former swim club captain, very popular young woman. And she'd, um, she'd gone to Bali in the last week of November for fairly minor dental work, you know, according to her um, Parents, she'd, she'd been quite happy with that work in the in the days afterward. But uh, on December two, her body was found at the hotel she was staying at in Kuta. Her body was taken to hospital by police on December seven, five days after she died. So we don't know yet what happened during that five days. An autopsy conducted. It's been somewhat of a mystery ever since. Uh, police interviewed the hotel staff. They interviewed the dentist who performed the procedure. They interviewed a tattoo artist. They were unable to find any um, cause of death uh, through that investigation. An autopsy conducted after that, finding no obvious signs of trauma. So, look, the timing is such that she she, uh, tragically passed away soon after um, having this dental work in Bali, uh, but there's no concrete link between that procedure and and, and, and her death, obviously, because uh, they haven't been able to um, produce answers uh, about how she passed away. Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind. But, but it does raise this issue of medical tourism and why Australians choose to travel to Southeast Asia, in particular for medical procedures. Can you tell us what some of these reasons are and, I guess, are there specific types of procedures that certain countries are known for? Well, cost is the big one, isn't it? You know, it's just so much cheaper to go to some of these countries and and have, you know, whether it's a root canal or a facelift or a knee reconstruction or a heart bypass. I mean, the, the, the cost can be five times cheaper, which, you know, for a major operation is, is going to be saving you tens of thousands of dollars. So that's going to be a big factor for a lot of people. And waiting times from what I understand, you know, are also a contributing factor. Um, certainly there is different niches in some in some of the countries in the region. Singapore is the go-to place for stem cell therapy, so that's one of those that stands out. And the other reason, uh, you know, is, is certainly that you can combine it with a holiday. I mean, it doesn't sound like the greatest holiday to me after having a, having a hip replacement or something, uh, that, but I, I guess if you can lie on the beach in uh, Phuket or something afterwards, then it's not a particularly um, horrible way to recover. Um, so they're the main driving forces, the push factors, I guess, uh, 
pushing you know so many people to um, to go abroad for this kind of medical treatment. Are foreign travellers looking for, say, a nip and tuck or dental work being actively courted by tourism outfits in Southeast Asia? I guess I'm wondering if medical tourism is a cash cow for private hospitals and the region's economy in general. Yes. In short, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so just as they court, um, you know, tourists in general uh, and look, these countries, uh, they're looking to get back on their feet after COVID with the, the huge damage to the tourism industry that occurred in that sense. So, look, medical tourism uh, is similar in that sense. In the, It's not a stated explicit competition, but they're certainly bidding for people's um, services. Thailand is, has been the industry leader in the in the region. It's It's got the most accredited hospitals and facilities. The industry was worth some $13 billion to the Thai economy in the last year before the pandemic in 2019. Look, it's starting to improve, but you know, even back then, at the biggest hospital alone in Bangkok for these sort of treatments, uh, there was more than half a million foreigners a year would would go through there um, for all sorts of different procedures. So you can just see how how big that is to them, and they're even providing more incentives now with new sort of one year visas uh, for people who need to come over and have treatment. So it's a real open door policy in that sense. Come here and and spend your money um, for, for what you need to be done. I mean, Singapore and Malaysia are, are, have been the other two major players in the region. Even Cambodia has sort of tried to be a bit of a um, – have an emerging presence in, in, in dental work in particular. But Indonesia in uh, Bali is also the one that wants to, to make great strides. The president, Joko Widodo, has, has really tried to – in the last year or so, not only lift Indonesia's international standing, they hosted the G20, but but also he's he's an infrastructure builder and a, and someone whose you know main priority is to develop the economy. So he's trying to make a, a, an area of Bali uh, a special economic zone, health focused one. They're, they're building an international hospital uh, in a, in a joint venture with the the Mayo Clinic from from the United States and. I mean, it's not without challenges. They need to improve the, the level of healthcare there and get the number of accredited facilities up. And of course, like all these countries and, and any country, you need to smooth out regulations so that you can get the best practitioners in. And I think that will help them as well. But that's been a really big priority um, uh, of the Indonesian government in, in, in the last 12 months. And these are largely legitimate practices, it sounds like. I mean, if, if Mayo Clinic is involved, it's um, it's an internationally accredited organisation. Yeah, I think um, when, when I talk about, you know, who, who are the biggest players, you know, I'm going by the number of internationally accredited uh, facilities that they have in their country. And I think for starters, you have to have that covered. It can't be... Um, trying to get people in, you know, on a cut price deal with, with surgeons that aren't accredited. So, look, in, in that sense, you know, Indonesia, uh, I think, realises the challenges and um, wants to play, you know, catch up with other countries that have that have been, you know, further ahead of the pace in this. Mm. But obviously things can go wrong. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls or risks people should be aware of before jetting off for a medical procedure overseas? Well, yeah, as you say, things things can be botched every now and again, as we see in Australia as well. So I think the issue tends to be that the implications of that happening are, are more serious if it's, if it happens abroad. You know, you don't have the, the coverage of of your own medical system. Does your insurance policy include complications? Are you able to take legal action against the 
surgeon or, or um, medical practitioner who performed the, the procedure that has gone wrong. And also, if you can't, you know, if you can't cover the cost, or if the costs mount, you know, because there's a complication, does your insurance cover that? And you know, the, if the costs do mount and you and you can't pay for it, uh, you know, you could end up in a fair bit more strife than perhaps you would uh, in your home country. So, there's certainly things that that can go wrong, like in any health setting, I suppose. I mean, there's been some a couple of high profile cases. Unfortunately, people dying abroad. There was a British woman who got. There was a lot of headlines about her in 2014. She was a 24 year old who paid 2,000 British pounds for cosmetic surgery in in Thailand and hadn't liked the initial results. So went in for a corrective procedure, but terribly um, died after that. As it turned out, the the surgeon and wasn't properly certified. So I mean, the, I guess there's a line drawn there about what um, prospective patients would have to be extremely careful about. And certainly the first one you would think would be to make sure the person working on you is uh, properly accredited. Chris, lastly, what advice does the Australian government have for people considering medical tourism? Well, they've got a lot. And the first port of call for any prospective patient thinking about uh, going on one of these trips would be to check out DFAT's Smart Traveller website. Uh, Talking to your doctor, your GP, Sounds like the first thing that you absolutely need to do. We talked about insurance covering covering complications. They certainly adv- uh, advise on that. They you know advise on can you actually get follow up treatment in Australia uh, for for the procedure or operation you've had abroad, particularly if there there is a bit of a problem. You got finding out what your legal rights are in in whatever country you choose to go to and and. Um, and clearly, if the if the surgeon is um, is qualified, so uh, yeah, it is quite a checklist to to go through. But plenty of people are doing that, as we as we've said. There's more than fifteen thousand Australians a year and going abroad for medical tourism. Um, you know that would have obviously dried right up during the pandemic. But um, if the numbers that 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 are building in in the Southeast Asian countries uh, in tourism and medical tourism again in the last year, any reflection, then you'd you'd think the Australians are going to be jumping on planes and uh, doing the same as they, they were in previous years. Chris, thanks very much. Thank you. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Margaret Gordon with technical assistance from Julia Carcatzel. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Kate Orbison. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.